Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to pick up this morning. If this is your first time here or you've just never gotten an Acts Scripture journal, um, those are Scripture journal. It's got Scripture on one side, a blank page on the other for you to take notes and follow along with us through our journey through the Acts of the Apostles. And that's out in the cafe on the book cart. You can grab that on your way out. You can go get it right now, whatever you want to do. That is our gift to you. There's also Bibles in front of you, beneath you, or behind you on the seats. I just ask that you would grab one of those and follow along or follow along on your phone. So we've been going through Acts. We've been back in it for uh, a month now or so. And uh, we started in chapter 1 back earlier this year, I think right after Easter. And we've gone verse by verse from chapter 1. We've gotten here to chapter 9. And what we see in this passage, we see the conversion of Saul, right? A lot of us know Paul. A lot of us even know this story where Saul is converted. Um, God meets him where he is. He changes his heart and he changes his way and he sends him out for his purpose. Um, But as we approach this text this morning, church, I just want us to be in an attitude of prayer. We're going through 41 verses. I'm not going to read it all in one chunk. We're going to read through all of it this morning. But before we approach God's word this morning, I, I want us to pray together uh, for us to um, humble ourselves. Maybe we've, we've had a certain understanding um, in the way that we've been taught in the past, but as always, we want to approach God's word to see what God's word says, not what we say about it. Amen? Amen. So let's do that together this morning as we approach God through his word. Father God, we come to you this morning humbly seeking your word and, and seeking our sanctification. For those of us who um, you've saved so far, God, that, that are, have been redeemed, have, have uh, placed their faith in you and repented of their sin, Lord, I pray that this would be a time where we would be reminded of the grace that met us. God, I pray that it would be a reminder of, of you, our sovereign Lord, and the plan that you had before the foundation of the world, and that that would draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to continue to be students of your word, not, not just taking um, what we're told all the time, but, but actually going to your word and seeing what you, our Lord, say. Seeing what you have said and, and what you want for us and what you have for us. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that they would clearly see the truth that lies within your word that they would repent and believe in the gospel this morning. God, we pray that you would do what only you can do and begin stirring in them and draw them to yourself. Father, we love you and we praise you and we pray all these things through the power of the Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as we approach this text, I I want us to to look at the face value of this text to see what's going on with Saul. And what I want us to see is that God radically renews his people. That's our main point this morning, is that God radically renews his people. Now, God is doing this work. God is saving his people. And it's not a a subtle thing. Now, there's there's subtleties through our life where it's like, all right, that wasn't as drastic or or maybe... um, Maybe your salvation, your story, your testimony doesn't look like the Saul, but let me go ahead and, and lay this out for us this morning. Is that we should long for the next generation to not remember a time where they didn't know the Lord. Okay, We want our littles and bigs to not remember a day that they did not know the Lord. And that's crazy to us because as Christians, we look at the, the other Christians like the, the real Christianese, the, the Baptist kind of like Christians, like 
that never did anything. They, they never smoked this or drank that, and, and they're holier than now. And, and we just kind of wish that they would just kind of do a little bit of that so they could be like real people, right? No, church, we should long for our kiddos to never get involved in that and never remember a day that they didn't know the Lord and they don't know what it's like to live apart from Him. Amen? Amen? So let me encourage you here this morning. Maybe you don't have a testimony like Saul's, but you're still radically renewed because the Bible paints this picture that before Christ intervened in your life and regenerated your heart, you were dead. You say, I'm alive. Spiritually, before Christ, dead. But because Jesus has intervened in your life, because the Spirit has drawn you to the Father, because God has saved you according to His plan, you're now called to live the life that you've been given in Christ Jesus. Glorify His name. Advance His kingdom. So as we look at God radically renewing His people and, and driving that home, I want to look at how God does that. God reaches God regenerates and renews. That's our three points to drive home, that God radically renews His people. He does it by reaching His people, regenerating His people, and renewing His people. First point, reach. God reaches His people. God meets His people where they are. Right? We can look back at our, our testimony, and, and one thing can be sure, church, is that you were not seeking, I was not seeking after God. And the, the, the objection here would be, well, God didn't twist my arm and make me go to church. No. Probably didn't feel the, the Indian burn on your arm, if that's still correct, by the way. I don't know. I didn't check before saying that one. But got a thumbs up probably from the guy. Don't, <laughs> we're good. All right. Anyway, when they twist your arm, I don't know another word for that other than owl. Um, if you, didn't, you didn't feel that from God, right? God wasn't actually twisting your arm, but it was supernatural and it was the Spirit doing what Jesus says is drawing you to the Father. That we don't go out and think, wow, like how wonderful it is. Like Christianity sounds really fun. I'm going to do that. And when I get there, I'm going to meet God. No, God meets us where we are. Romans 3, let me, let me turn us to the Scriptures, right? Romans 3, verses 9-12 through 12, paints a great picture of this. And this is, um, Paul, after conversion, writing to the church in Rome, right, writing to the Romans, and he tells them this. And this should, this should just make his, his testimony all the more powerful to us. He says, what then, in verse 9 of Romans 3, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Now that sounds crazy, right? Well, it would sound crazy if, if pastor said it, but when the Word of God is saying it, we should listen. We should see that, that Paul is, is not saying that you don't see what, what looks morally or worldly good to your eyes, right? When people go out and do things like, it looks good, but what we know from the Scriptures is that anything apart from God and not glorifying God is in vain. And it could look and have the appearance of good and still not be good to God. It's not glorifying His name. Our heart hasn't been changed. Things apart from God don't do godly things. They don't do spiritual things. It's a waging war between the flesh and the Spirit and between before God's intervention in our life, before He reaches, 
We don't care about the war because the war has been won because we give into our flesh. And God reaches us and His Spirit takes over for His people and He regenerates us and, and sends us. But first, He reaches us right where we are. Look at Saul's situation here in chapter 9, how God reaches Saul. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So right here, Saul is not seeking anything but the destruction of the church. Saul is on a, a, a path to end this mystery, this myth um, that, that people are beginning to, to to follow. It's become this new denomination almost in, in the uh, Jewish culture and the, the Jewish religion, right? To the point where he got letters to go to the synagogues because Christians, new believers, Jewish converts were still spending time in the synagogues, probably evangelizing, also still worshiping because the Old Testament still, even today, matters. So he wants to put an end to it. Saul's purpose right now, Saul's conquest, is to end what we're blessed with this morning, church. Fellowship with other believers. He wants to end this Gospel message. He wants to put fear in anybody who would follow it. He is still seeking harm and death. Church. Now I think it's reasonable for us to say that we agree this morning that Saul was not seeking after God. Now he was doing these things in the name of, of God, but he had falsely attributed to his works. He was earning favor. He was still bound by the law and trying to earn favor with God by his deeds. He is not seeking after God, but you can be assured, church, as God does to us, God did to Saul, he reaches him where he was. Now, if you look at this, this is interesting because Damascus would have been out of the, the um, jurisdiction of Judea. And he goes and he asks the high priest if he could have permission to go to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, history tells us there's a few things that could happen here why he's doing that, but history tells us the, the reason is probably going to the high priest because there were political leaders that would have given him permission to go up to Damascus because they didn't like the Jews. So Saul was able to use that to his advantage because the current leader was, was crazy, was a madman, and he wanted to go and take advantage of that and bring them back to Jerusalem where it was no holds barred. He's going out of his way to end this. And the beauty still is that the church is rapidly spreading. Like We didn't even read about Damascus until this, but he knows that there's believers of the way. As Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We'll get to that passage later. They're following the way. Saul's not happy. Verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, there's a few things to note here. Saul, Saul was a very intimate way, using someone's name twice, 
It was very intimate. It was something understood. This is real. This is personal. So Jesus gets his attention and he says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's response is, who are you, Lord? Now he didn't say, oh, hey, Jesus. Oops, busted, got caught. He says, who are you, Lord? Because he understands that whoever's talking to him is some form of deity. This is, this is God. But then Jesus, being God, tells him, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Now church, this is great comfort for you this morning that in your suffering, your union with Christ binds you to Jesus. That Jesus suffered in your place and you suffer for His name's sake. But He feels that, He empathizes with it, and He went through it for you, His people. This is great because Jesus doesn't come and say, why are you persecuting My people? Jesus Himself is going through this and is calling Saul out and meeting Him where He is and showing Him His depravity and His need for the Savior that is before Him. Why are you persecuted? Church, if that doesn't encourage you when you're being persecuted by the outside world, I don't know what will. That Jesus is being persecuted. That, that they hate us because they hate Jesus. So if people are persecuting you, you're probably doing something right. Unless you're doing it arrogant. Why are you persecuted? Because I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Saul was just on this aggressive charge, this conquest to end Christianity before it could really get started. And now he is humbly led by hand, being blinded by God, and led in the town where he was just before going to destroy every Christian in sight. To lead them back to Jerusalem. And he himself is led into Damascus blind. Saul was not looking for God. Indeed, this is a beautiful picture of what is irresistible grace that God brings us out of our state of sin and destruction to display His power and His glory. And that comes from God intervening in our life. And again, it looks a lot more subtle for us. We're not on the road to Barberton or Wadsworth or down the street to to this other street, right? I live on East Union. Do I want to go to to West Union or do I want to go to West North Street and drag those people? No, it doesn't look like a physical dragging or drawing or holding your hand, but I can assure you that the moment when you started thinking and considering the things of God meant that God was at work within you. You were not at work within yourself. Now when the rubber meets the road, God is is reaching us and then He's regenerating us. So God comes to His people 
And He draws them to Himself. Point number two, He's, he's regenerating us. He's not just meeting us, but he's, he's regenerating our hearts. He's making us a new creation. Now this doesn't mean that, that the world doesn't feel the presence of God and their sin and, and feel conviction because the, the Spirit is, is at work within that as well. But when, when God is saving someone, He is doing the work and drawing them to Himself so that He can regenerate them and give them a new heart. And to God be the glory for that church because Michael Meadows would, can attest that I would never draw near to God if God had not drawn near to me and drawn me to Himself. And that's good because I would have been hellbound on my own. I would have been Romans 3, what Paul was saying, what we read to begin with. I would have been not doing good. I would not have been righteous. And because I'm righteous, it's because Christ is in me and has imputed His righteousness to me. At the cross. He's regenerating His people. He's changing our hearts. Look what happened to Saul, who was on his way to destroy the church. Verse 10, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street that is called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that, we might, that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered him, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, could you imagine being an Ananias Jews, right? This guy was just on his way probably take Ananias bound back to Jerusalem by hand. He had heard the work. It had spread that, that Saul was a terrorist to the church. That he was seeking to destroy anybody that followed the way. He's a murderer. And Ananias is told by the Lord Himself. Like, look how willing he was not knowing the mission. Because the Lord says to him, Ananias, just says his name. And his response, Lord, here I am. Eager and ready to do what the Lord would call him to do. And then he's told what he has to do. Now verse 13, it, it is a, a great conviction that we should feel when we consider those we don't count as worthy to hear the Gospel message. Who is, who is the Saul in your life? That you feel as though they've, they've blacklisted you on Facebook, right? They've blocked you and they don't want to hear from you. Or it's a coworker and they always ridicule you and your faith and they give you a hard time for being a Christian because that's so lame and, and following a God is like a, a, a little four-year-old's fairy tale, right? And we get so mad and we get so worked up over that. And we're like, I'm not going to share with them. They are not worthy to hear the Gospel. They're not worthy of my time. I'm, I, I don't want to deal with the persecution. Ananias has just seen Saul ravaging the church. Not blocking people on Facebook. He's just seen Stephen and, and heard accounts of, of Stephen. He, see, he heard accounts of Stephen being stoned. And he gets word of it. This is the same man that approved it. This is the same man that was ravaging churches, taking men and women out of their homes. 
He didn't want to do it. What did the Lord have in store? Ananias has heard all about this. Lord, I've heard many things about this man from many people. How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. What we were talking about earlier. He got permission to go and to do this. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Church, God had a plan for Saul. A plan to save him and a plan to use him according to his own purpose. And this was not while Saul was searching for God. This is not while Saul was adding to his resume and trying to to do all the right things and follow God through repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Saul was not seeking after God. But God has changed Saul. God has chosen Saul. God has had a plan for Saul since before the foundation of the world that he might be saved and he might go forth and preach the Gospel. I'll tell you something. All believers this morning have been chosen, called, saved, sent. We have a job to go forth and to share this good news. We have a job to pray for God to regenerate, to draw the lost to Himself. And He does that by the means of His people sending them. Sending each and every one of you to go and to proclaim this goodness. And while we proclaim it, God does what only God can do. Let me tell you, church, we talk about this all the time. God doing only what God can do. God being sovereign. When we present the Gospel, are we presenting it in a way that lets God do what God does? Or do we present it in a way that makes that person that you're sharing the Gospel with a God for themselves? Meaning, do we kick over a ladder and say, here's, here's the, the side, here's this ladder, just jump on it. Like it's, it's that simple. Or do we tell them that they need to repent and believe in the Gospel? Repent of your sin and profess faith in Christ Jesus. That is evidence of regeneration. That is evidence that God has met you where you are and regenerated your heart. And God has regenerated us so that we could live a renewed life. Point number three. You see, Ananias was was so focused here at at the start of this, he didn't want to do this because Saul was this man ravaging the church. But God says, I have a plan for him. I have chosen him. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And not only that, but God is going to show him how much he will suffer for the the sake of Jesus, for the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes about that in in 1 Corinthians. He talks about a long list of the things that he suffered for Jesus. This man who was seeking the suffering of the church and pouring it out on them will soon suffer for the name of Jesus. Because God has regenerated him to live a renewed life. So Ananias departs in verse 17 and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Right? Regenerated. You receive the Spirit. You're baptized by the Spirit at salvation. And immediately something like scales fell off of his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. 
renewed, right? He's showing people, he's proclaiming what Christ has already done on the inside, that Christ has saved him, regenerated him, and now he's showing the world, living a renewed life. He went without food for three days, so verse 19 tells us he took food and he was strengthened. But look at this. Look at this renewed life that, that Saul is living. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately, immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. The synagogues where he was going to, to bring brothers and sisters in Christ bound back to Jerusalem. He's now proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. He says he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who's made havoc in Jerusalem of those called upon this name? Is this not the man who's wrecking havoc on the church? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus was Christ. Look at the life change there. And let me tell you something. Your, your testimony, you may not be the murderer, right? But I can tell you this past week, we can look and think of the, the hatred or the anger the unrighteous anger we, we had in our hearts, we harbored up against people. It makes us a murderer. Our lustful eyes makes us adulterers. Church, I'm saying this so that we can understand that we are needy. We need Jesus. We need His intercession. We need Him to reach us and regenerate us so that we can live a renewed life so that the world can see it. And no, you may not be the worst. Without Christ, you're just as bad off. And when Christ regenerates us, whether our testimony is, is from uh, prison to proclamation, or whether it's just Sunday school, I was saved at five, I was baptized at six, didn't know a day. The radicalness is that you cannot live this life apart from Christ because it's His power by His Spirit inside of you. Saul cannot take credit for this. Indeed, he doesn't. The beautiful thing of Saul being converted, being saved by God's grace, is that we get to read what Paul writes inspired by the Spirit in his epistles. And what he tells us about this mystery of, of God's um, love for us before the foundation of the world, choosing us. Not that we had done good or bad, but because He had a plan to redeem you for His glory. Beautiful. And God is the only one that gets it. Look, I mean, is this not the man who came to wreck havoc? Did you really bring Saul here to the synagogue? Could you imagine those discussions like, oh man, he's about to take us. And they're like, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good, guys. Like, he's a believer. Look, he's preaching Jesus. In verse 23, he had gone to kill them, and now he's sought after himself. Look at the plot twist here. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Not beat him, kill him. They wanted to end this. This guy's crazy. But, how his, disciple, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. They see the evidence. But he goes on to Jerusalem, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. wonder why. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Seriously, just imagine. This man leaves Jerusalem on a journey to persecute the Christians in Damascus. 
And he comes back and he's like, hey guys, I followed the way now. Yeah, okay, right? Like, you don't believe me, we all did this with a, a known celebrity a few years ago, Kanye West gives his life to Christ, and we're like, okay, Kanye, puts out a Jesus is King album, like, it speaks more highly of God than a lot of us Christians do in our everyday language, and, and we still want to question his salvation. But when we understand that it's God's work and not our own, it makes these things not only more believable, but more God-glorifying, because it's not about us and making a right decision or earning favor with God. It's God's work. And Barnabas takes him. Look, verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how in the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Preaches in the name of the Lord. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking Kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit. It multiplied. Church, when, when God reaches you and regenerates you, He takes you from death to life. Meaning not breathing, not doing anything good, not seeking anything good. Death to life. Rotten to a good smell, right? Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if we can get that on the screen. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? You're like a new man. I learned at um, the, the summer chill on Friday night that like, there, some of you guys count how many times I do this, Jeff. And, and it wasn't just a, a Jeff pro thing. It was several guys were like, yeah, like every time you do that with your hair, like we're like, ha, did it again. It's like every five minutes. And, you know, like it's a little game to you guys, right? So I had my, got my hair cut. Nothing makes a man feel like a new man quite like a haircut, right? Just makes you feel just different, right? You're like, I'm, I'm awesome, right? Like just I could take on the world. Uh, my wife loves me again, right? Like I, I've got some points. Everything is good again. And I remember as a kid, particularly, um, I had longer hair, like the, the beaver hair um, down in my eyes, and I'd flick it and just do that little flick. And I remember after that haircut, I wasn't so sure about it. Felt like really different, but I noticed it took me some time to quit doing this. I had a buzz cut, and I'd just be sitting in class and doing this, and and I was just trying to get the imaginary hair that was once in my eyes. And let me tell you something, church. That's what it's like as a believer, because we weren't seeking God. We didn't want anything to do with God, and and I know that's tough for us to believe because. Somehow we found God, but in reality, God found us and drew us within ourselves by His Spirit, drawing us. So now as a new creation, it feels weird. It feels like we still have the sinful hair in our eyes. And we walk around, we're trying to figure out this thing, and we're trying to live this new life. And we're reminded by the Scriptures that that's why Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God has saved us. If indeed you've repented. Church, God gets the credit for this. God gets the credit. It was God's doing. It was God's work. And that's, that's so tough, right? Because as, as, a, as a man, right, my pride tells me that if you ever tell me that I'll never be able to dunk a basketball, I'll get mad. I agree with you. But you don't need to tell me that I'll never be able to dunk a basketball. There's something about my pride that wants to hang on to the, the, the possibility, the slim chance, right? You put it in a, a pie graph and just leave me a little sliver that says this is the percentage of the chance that you're going to be able to dunk on a 10-foot rim by the time you die. Well, the total depravity of man, church, takes the ability to save ourselves out of our hands. But you know what it does? It teaches us to rest in the power of God. It teaches us to, to repent and draw near to His throne. It teaches us to confess our sins and come before the loving Father who sent His Son for His people to die on the cross to atone for their sins so that they may be regenerated and renewed called to the life that Christ gave them and called them to and chose them for before the foundation of the world. It's good. It's glorious. It's a mystery. But it's biblical. Luke, you can go ahead and come back up. I want to end here with, with John 14.6. The really interesting thing, the irony here of this story is that Saul is seeking, he's going on a path of destruction, seeking to destroy those belonging to the way when the way actually finds him. Jesus says this. This isn't talking to Saul, by the way. This is earlier on in Jesus' life on earth. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, no one, not some, not pastors, not this Christian or that Christian, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now this is a good understanding of our salvation in several aspects. One, the fact that our destination, our purpose for being saved isn't so that we get to go to heaven, right? Some of our evangelism leads us down this path to talk about how beautiful heaven is and how you want to be there. But our evangelism should be rooted in the fact that we need to be reconciled to the Father. That we need to be saved and redeemed by the work of Christ, by the Spirit inside of us. And the reality should be that because of the finished work of Jesus and professing faith in Him, you don't go to hell. That you can be redeemed back to a relationship with the Father. You can be reconciled back to Him. Secondly, it shows us that it rests not in our ability to share the Gospel, but in the power of God who saves. You don't come to the Father except through me. And Jesus says, no one, no one comes to me unless you're drawn. Like the Spirit's drawing you. And the same word for that word draw is the same word when Paul's dragged out of Jerusalem, when he's dragged out of the gates of the city. That God is dragging us out of our depraved state and regenerating our hearts so that we can live a renewed life in Christ Jesus to go and to proclaim the truths of the Gospel. Let this encourage you. Let this, let this ignite a study within you because I know some of you maybe are hearing about these doctrines and, and God's choosing and His election. Bef 
for the first time this morning. Or maybe it's something you've wanted to avoid. Let me tell you, dive into the Scriptures. If you have questions, we can talk to you. But let me remind you that it's God's doing. It is by His grace through faith. And that's good. Because I know that without His intervention, I'd be left on my own. Without irresistible grace, I, I would not turn to Him. I would not want it. So as you go out, rest in the power of the Gospel. Not the words you say, not, not your presentation and how good you can, you can uh, draw somebody into the Gospel. Share the truth that the reality is without Jesus, hell. But because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you can repent and believe in Him and be saved. The mystery is real, church. How does all of this come together? Well, we know that God has a plan and a purpose, and some things are hidden, but one thing's for sure, that God has had a plan for His people for the foundation of the world. Part of that plan is for you to go and to tell people, not looking and saying, who's the Saul? Like, I don't want to share with you. They don't deserve it. It's not our choice. We are to go claim this, these truths, knowing that God is radically renewing His people. It doesn't matter about the past life you live. God is redeeming you for His purpose. For his glory. Church, if you all would go ahead and stand. And I want us to sing this last song up to the Lord. And I want us to be reminded of that. That God is, is continuing, you're continuing to be conformed into the likeness of Christ, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, this process at the moment of your salvation, it started and it will continue on until the day you die or to the day you were resurrected. And we long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But we have a job to do. So let us rest in the power of the Gospel as we go forth. Let us rest in the grace of God and not our works. Amen? Pray. Father God, I pray that You would just continue to stir up in our hearts, God, just this um, passion for Your Word, to, to look at it, to, to deal with difficult topics and subjects, doctrines, God, and not just... Write them off. Not, not to write them off because of tradition, because of the uncomfortableness of these messages. But God, that we would look to Your Word always. We would look to be transformed by not our understanding, but by the renewing of our mind, by the Spirit living inside of us. God, and I pray that You would encourage Your people. You saved them. Now You send them on mission to proclaim the goodness of Your grace. To extend grace and mercy to those who are apart from you. And Lord, as we go, we pray that you would, you would work on their hearts and God, you would draw them to yourself and save them. And if there's someone here who doesn't believe in you this morning, they've not, they've not followed the way, pray right now that you would work on their heart and remind them that there's no other way apart from Jesus. There's no way we can earn or obtain this salvation. God, I pray that they would humble themselves and repent of their sin turn to You. Father, we love You and we praise You. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.